Selma, Alabama, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the site of the bloody Sunday conflict and the historic Selma to Montgomery Civil Rights March led by Martin Luther King Jr. in 1965. Today, the bridge is relatively calm. There's an average amount of car traffic passing by, but slowly, a group of marchers pours onto the bridge. There are small flags, rainbow colored, and each of the marchers is wearing a purple shirt. There are police, but unlike 1965, the police are there to prevent any possible violence. The marchers are members and friends and supporters of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, who are in Selma for a special performance as part of a tour of several southern states. It's called the Lavender Pen Tour. How will the chorus be treated? What's their message? Well, that's what you'll find out today on Relate. I'm Tamara Stanners, and this is Relate by Zendesk. Andy Shepard, what's the background on this one? So the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus has been around for, you know, coming up to 40 years now. And they were planning for this big 40th anniversary international tour. They were going to go all over the world. But they changed their minds. What changed their minds? The election. Right, of course. Yeah, so before we get into that, um, my name is Chris Verdugo, and I am the executive director of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Here's a little background on how the chorus came to be. The San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus was the first uh, gay men's chorus, openly gay men's chorus. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if you have any closed gay men's chorus, um, but it was the first openly gay men's chorus. started in 1978. The chorus had about three rehearsals before it had its um, first public performance, which was tragically on the steps of City Hall the night that Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk were assassinated. It's my duty to make this announcement. Both Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk have been shot and killed. So this was a huge tragedy for the community and for the gay rights movement. Uh, because Harvey Milk was the first openly gay elected official in the history of California. And um, from that moment on, uh, you know, a men's chorus was, was birthed, not just one that would excel in artistry, but one that would be steeped deeply in activism. So this group is truly a part of LGBTQ history. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, they, they sing beautiful music, they have fun, they entertain people, but it's a group that never forgets where it came from. And that's why they decided to cancel plans for their international tour and stay in the U.S. instead. And the idea for the Lavender Pen Tour was hatched. Why is it called the Lavender Pen Tour? Well, here's Chris Verdugo again. Shortly before his death, Harvey Milk had ushered in a landmark civil rights bill, an LGBT civil rights ordinance that was passed by the supervisors. And uh, once passed, uh, Mayor Moscone went to sign that uh, bill into law. And he signed it with a lavender pen that Harvey gave to him. And for us, 
that's a huge symbol, not just of the, the continued struggle that uh, we are undergoing with civil liberties um, and with retaining our, our, our hard-fought rights and gains that we've made over the last 10 to 12 years, um, but it's also a symbol of hope. Wow, that is the perfect name for this tour. So where did they go? Well, the tour just finished a couple of days ago, and they were in Mississippi and Tennessee and North and South Carolina and Alabama. So all red states. Yeah, I mean, but if you think about it, you know, every state is, you know, just a different blend of conservative and liberal or Democrat and Republican, you know, red and blue. So really, they should all just be various shades of purple, right? Uh, we're not really talking about red states or blue states but really about making purple states. But since we're gay, we go with lavender. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and how perfect. So how did the tour come about? Well, as I mentioned at the top, uh, it was the election, you know, this political sea change that happened last November. Well, the idea behind the tour began right after the election, about 24 hours after the election. And so we decided to forego the traveling that we had planned for our 40th season in 2018. And so we decided, I think within 36 hours, that we would embark on this, you know, what at the time we called a, a red state tour, um, which didn't last very long because you know, we realized how many red states there were and we couldn't get to all of them. It was really about these five southern states who have seen some, some difficulties throughout the past several years. Uh, if Well, throughout the past several years and, and, and the past, you know, several hundred years, I should say. So why these particular states? Mississippi, Tennessee, North okay. Carolina, South, South Carolina, 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 Alabama. Yeah. And, well, so these are all states that have the harshest anti-LGBT legislation. They call these things RFRAs, which are Religious Freedom Restoration Acts. For example, Mississippi has this one called HB 1523, which just became law, and it allows doctors and lawyers and teachers to actually turn people away based on their religious beliefs about you know, marriage yeah. or sex or whatever. And North Carolina had uh, HB2, which is that infamous bathroom bill right. uh, that denies members of the trans community the right to use the, you know, the bathrooms that they feel, you know, whichever ones they feel most comfortable with in their identity. So, you know, Mississippi and North Carolina were kind of the bookends of the tour. And then we, we really looked and, and tried to create a journey that would um, connect with, you know, our message. And so Birmingham just kind of became the next one. So then we just kind of plotted it out and went, okay, Tennessee makes sense for, for many reasons. In some ways, the tour chose us. You know, we were really, like, definitive about, okay, we need to make it to these two places. Um, but in some ways, you know, certain cities chose us, which, you know, for us was like, okay, well, this is exactly where we need to be. So what were they expecting in terms of reception when they'd get to these places? Well, again, you know, these states tilt in a certain direction politically, uh, but they're not monolithic. So, you know, they expected it to be controversial on some levels, but also... Um, that we're going to be greeted with open arms and a lot of love. And I expect that we'll have protesters at certain things. That's, you know, we've been told to expect that. And so we will. And to that note, we have, um, you know, we have a security detail that is traveling with us. And, you know, for those moments where we walk across the bridge in Selma, we have, 
you know, we have police presence there. So we have taken care of um, making sure that everyone feels safe. We really don't expect anything to happen. And, and even the members of that community will tell you, we don't expect anything to happen either. So, um, but yeah, we're prepared. We, and we are working with uh, our community partners in these cities to invite folks who, who, who might not necessarily agree with our viewpoint um, or our message necessarily, um, but perhaps can meet us halfway at the artistic point. Because uh, it, I think once we get there, then, then we're on a level playing field and we can start to have a deeper dialogue about the issues we think separate us. And it certainly is about, you know, touching, transforming hearts and minds. It's even also maybe just about cracking a heart, you know. It doesn't have to be transformed in that moment, but sometimes you just need the genesis. You need, you need that initial crack that makes you realize, oh, wait a second. And what about the actual concerts? Well, they went really, really well. I mean, uh, I want to introduce you to Michael Tate, who's a member of the chorus. The concert in Jackson was pretty amazing. Uh, Just being in that space and being in such a historic city, when the curtain opened up and the crowd kind of went wild. And I think we didn't know what to expect, whether there going to be five people or 500 people. And it was an enthusiastic crowd who clearly wanted more. So I felt like even though it was just the first stop, the work was already happening. I honestly get goosebumps just thinking about that moment and how incredible it would be. But what about the people who wouldn't be so enthusiastic and so excited about a choir of gay men performing in their city? Well, the interesting part of this is that you know, they're really not going into these places to berate the other side. You know, they're going in first and foremost to share a love of music and community with, you know, the, the idea and the hope that people will see that the members of the chorus are, are human beings, you know, and not just stereotypes or, or the enemy for that matter. And they also understand that they might be challenged, you know, like the members of the chorus, they might be challenged in their understanding of people from the South. It's also about our preconceived notions here in San Francisco. And, and not just in San Francisco, we have supporters from around the world. You know, one of the stipulations that we made about this tour as well is that we would come back and we would share the stories with you. So that perhaps in the, you know, in the storytelling of what we heard and what we saw and what we experienced, you uh, might be, you know, you being members of the San Francisco community um, might see that you have some preconceived notions about this um, and things aren't the way that you perceive them. And we may come back and say some of these things are the way we thought they were. There's obviously an intentional overlap here with the civil rights movement in the African-American community. How does that work out? Yeah, there's definitely this overlap, but it's not cut and dry, you know, since there are elements of, you know, particularly the black religious community that are, you know, hesitant to partner with the LGBT community, you know, because of religious beliefs. But 
in so many ways the two movements should be and, and, and really are aligned because it's really all about human rights. There are two sides to that point. We are being really well received. Um, and then I can tell you that the president of the ACLU chapter in Birmingham um, was called out by other preachers for supporting and working with um, HRC and LGBT people. Jeff Benson is another member of the chorus, and he was a key organizer for the Alabama portion of the tour. But he's also directly connected to the civil rights movement of the 1960s through his family. My relatives um, or you know, civil rights organizers. My grandmother was an original Brown versus the Board of Education um, plaintiff. She was one of the original 13 plaintiffs. My mother was a grandchild plaintiff in that legendary lawsuit. So I carry forth that, that energy. Um, so that's part of the tapestry of why I'm here as well. So we're using our voices to base, basically affect change in areas where it's needed the most. And we're really here to um, build bridges, and create friendships and relationships along the way as well. And, you know, there's a real hope that these relationships will continue because, as Christopher Dugo can attest, there are plenty of great people and lots of great food in the South. I've been on two trips, and I can tell you um, my attitude has changed. So much so (laughs) that I'm not coming home for a week. I'm actually staying and doing my own tour of the South because I've been so endeared by it. you know, that and the, and, the, and, the, and the southern fried chicken. I mean, who wouldn't be? <laughs> I came back from my last advance trip. I kid you not. I kid you not. I was only there six days. I came back six pounds heavier. Thanks so much for this, Andy. You bet. And if you want to learn more about the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus and the Lavender Pen Tour, go to sfgmc.org. And all the music you've heard in the story comes from recordings by the chorus, which are all available on iTunes or wherever you find great music. Building bridges between different social groups is key, not only for better community relationships, but it's also better for business. There's an article over on the Relate online magazine called How Diversity Improves Work Culture and the Bottom Line, and it explains how hiring people from different walks of life can make a big difference in company profits. You can find that article and tons more at relate.zendesk.com.
That's it for Relate this week, but there's so much more coming. Next week, we talk to a 94-year-old author and activist who started a podcast to connect with a younger generation. He wants to help them avoid the mistakes of history that he personally witnessed. So subscribe to Relate on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to get that episode and more. In the meantime, for articles on connecting to your customers in deeper and better and more efficient ways, visit relate.zendesk.com. And we've got technology to help you do that. Head over to zendesk.com for a free trial.